0: Our scripture reading tonight is from 1st John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. For God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. The word of the Lord.
1: It up here. <laughs> well, it's a joy to be with you on this evening, and I want to um, add my welcome to uh, each and every one of you who are with us tonight, and those who have flown in from out of the area. We're so glad that you've chosen to join with us, and that you were able to get on your planes. I know That's not the case for many around the world tonight, and uh, and we share in sympathies um, in that regard. And for those of you who are worshiping with us online, we welcome you as well uh, tonight. Throughout this season of Advent, we've been looking at the Christmas story from a different perspective each week. And so we looked at it as a story of faith from Mary's perspective We looked at the Christmas story as a story of courage from Joseph's perspective, a story of hope from the Magi's perspective, and a story of humility from the shepherd's perspective. And tonight, we look at the story as a story of love from the Father's perspective. It's a love story, but not just any love story, it's the quintessential love story Um, and it culminates in this great act of God coming down to us in Jesus Christ. And in fact, this evening what I want us to do is to think about this love story as a story that is meant to inspire us and empower us so that when we leave here in a few minutes that we are more challenged and more inspired to be more loving than when we came in the door a few minutes ago. Uh, 1 John chapter 4 as Shirley read a moment ago it says this that God's love was revealed to us God showed his love, expressed his love among us in this way. God sent his only son. This is a Christmas text. Did you know that? This is a Christmas text. God sent his only son into the world on that first Christmas so that we might live through him. Why? Because God loves us. God wants us to have life, to have it abundantly. And so God sent his son into the world to accomplish this for us. And then in verse Verse 11, it says, Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. And then in verse 19, we love, that is we respond, we determine who we are in the world because on that first Christmas especially, God so loved us first. Now it seems... That it's so natural for us to think about God so loving us and so to send his son. We've heard the story, we come to worship on Christmas Eve year after year and we hear this story over and over again, God's love coming to us in Jesus Christ. It seems so natural, but have we considered the possibility or the reality that God did not have to do this at all? That God was not required, nothing required God to send his son, but he did this at his own free choice out of love. God could have grown weary. He could have thrown his hands up at the mess that we've made in the world and with life and God's creation and one another and all the pain and the suffering that humans have caused. God could have easily have ended it all, or he could have simply withdrawn. I think that could have been worse. He could have withdrawn and simply lost interest or grown cynical. Sometimes this happens to people, right? Uh, One disappointment after another after another and the heart comes hardened and you can become cynical or you can withdraw or resign from life. God could have done that, but he didn't. Author Madeline Langle, she talks about, uh, she wrote about how when she was growing up, her mother, many of her mother's friends were doing this, withdrawing or losing interest in in life. She wrote this. She said, and this was back in the early 20th century, when I was in high school and college, I looked at some of my mother's friends, all good Christian church-going women, and thought, if this is what it means to be grown up, I don't want it. They'd closed in, shut down, lost interest in new ideas, went to church to be safe, not challenged. Not my mother, though, she said. She was a remarkable woman, again, beginning of the 20th century, who long before I was born had ridden across the Sahara on a camel and up the Andes on a donkey. And she never lost her sense of adventure, her her love for life. And God is like this, too. God doesn't simply resign um, or withdraw from life. But God has an adventurous spirit. But with the added dimension that it's not a self-centered adventurous spirit for himself. No, God enters into our world, enters into our mess, enters into the pain and suffering of our experience, even when it's risky, even when it's threatening, even when it's deadly. Perhaps a better analogy is to think about this, to think about God as as like soldiers who storming the banks of Normandy at D-Day at great risk and at great cost. They might not get away with, they might not live, but there is a bigger cause. Or like perhaps a firefighter who's choosing to enter into a burning building to save the people who are in there. He didn't have to do that. God didn't have to do that. There was no uh, requirement, but instead God comes to us and He steps into our world in love. And He's born not in a palace, not in a fabulous maternity ward in a modern hospital, but he's born in a feeding trough in a, in a barn or in a cave or in the basement of someone's house uh, uh, where the animals live. And he lived his life not with the wealthiest, not with um, the, the most powerful or the brightest, but with his family, his brothers and sisters who thought that he had lost his mind, with his disciples who were confused about his teaching most of the time and then deserted him in his time of greatest need. And then he dies at the hands of those who accuse him unjustly and beat him up before they subject him to torture. And he does all of this for us, for us. This story is meant to melt our hearts. He dies as a sacrifice carrying all of the suffering in the world, all of your suffering, all of your regrets, all of the past that you need redemption. He says, bring it to me. Give it to me. I'm going to take it on myself, in my body, on the cross. And that's what he does to bring us back, to bring us back to our senses, to bring us back to our center, to bring us back to God. And so, as 1 John 4, 9 says, God's love was put on display, revealed to us in this. God sent His Son into the world that first Christmas so that we might live through him and then we respond we determine who we are because he first loved us we love because he first loved us in other words the Christmas story isn't simply meant to warm our hearts even though I sure hope that it does and I I think it does for most of us No, the Christmas story is actually meant to change our lives. It's meant to transform us. It's meant to shape and determine how we live in the world and how we relate to the worldwide human family. In other words, we're supposed to follow God in Jesus Christ as a model, an example for us to do likewise, to love as he loved, to step into the world in the way that it is, to not be hopeless or timid or prideful, to not blame or condemn others, which is sometimes our tendency, or even to blame and con- or condemn ourselves ourselves. Sometimes it can feel really religious to be down on, on yourself, but it can also be pernicious as sort of a being self-absorbed in our own sin and guilt. No, the, the Christmas story invites us to get out of ourselves and into the world. It's a love story that summons us to follow God's lead and to love by taking a step out into the world as it is. New Testament scholar William Barclay, he um, talked about and defined and sort of described this kind of love. The word in, in the Greek in, in the Bible is the word agape. You probably have heard this. There are four different kinds of love and agape is the highest form of love. It's God's love and it's the kind of love that we are meant to show one another. Here's how um, the late William Barclay defines it. He says, agape is the spirit which says, no matter what anyone does to me I will always seek nothing but his or her highest good. That is, biblical love is unconquerable benevolence, invincible goodwill. It's not simply a wave of emotion. It's a deliberate conviction of the mind issuing in a deliberate policy of the life. And so in this definition, it's not so much about the emotional quality as it is an act, just as God in an act sent his son. That was action. John Calvin, our Presbyterian theological forebearer in the 1500s, he he was a Frenchman who ministered in the city of Geneva and brought great reform to Geneva and Switzerland. And he was not known, uh, if you know John Calvin or know of his writings, he wasn't known as the most like touchy-feely kind of person. Um, he wasn't warm and fuzzy. He was more prickly and he had a really sharp mind. But he, he understood this form, this call to this practical kind of love. Here's how um, theologian, one modern theologian writes about John Calvin's love. He says Calvin wasn't interested in an abstract theology that was distant from real life or even confined within the church. Under Calvin's leadership, the church in Geneva provided refugee relief and resettlement. Actually, that's what we're seeking to do in our offering tonight. Sought jobs for the unemployed, encouraged public education, and worked to provide health care for all. Nothing that contributed to the welfare of the city and its residents seemed insignificant to Calvin. He even called for a more economical cooking system for the poor and prodded municipal council to construct a sanitary sewer system throughout Geneva. Not a whole lot of emotional quality and lovey-doviness in a new sewer system for the city. But this is what Calvin understood as love. And so sometimes the love that we're called to is intensely practical and doesn't have very much emotional quality to it at all. It's an everyday decision, a conviction, using our skills, our training in our everyday life and world to make the world a better place, to bring order out of chaos. Though, sometimes, it really is the tender touch of love that matters. God, in this act of sending Jesus, did not do that void of emotion. God put his whole heart into it. And so it's both practical action, but it's also the kindness of our hearts. You might remember that um, when Abraham Lincoln was president during the time of the Civil War, he used to go and visit uh, wounded soldiers in the hospital. And uh, on one occasion, he went in and the doctors pointed out a particularly young soldier who uh, had been badly injured and wounded and was likely not going to make it. Uh, was Probably you know, had a couple of days left of his life. And, and so the president went over to, to see him and the, the kid was so badly injured and beat up that he didn't recognize that this was Abraham Lincoln coming to sit with him. And he asked, uh, the president asked the soldier, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, yes, uh, would you write a letter to my mother for me? And the president got a pen and a piece of paper and started to write down the words that this young soldier was able to communicate. My dearest mother, I was badly hurt while doing my duty. I'm afraid I'm not going to recover. Don't grieve too much for me, please. Kiss Mary and John for me. May God bless you and Father." The soldier was too weak to continue, and so the president signed it for him and added these words written for your son by Abraham Lincoln. And the soldier asked to see the letter, and when he brought it up close to his eyes, was able to recognize who signed it. And he was astonished, and he said, "'Are you really the president?' And Abraham Lincoln said, "'Yes, I am.'" and he asked if there was anything else he could do for him, and the soldier said, yes, could you hold my hand because it would help to see me through to the end. And so the president held his hand and spoke warm words of encouragement to him until death finally came. Lincoln did not have to do this. He was the president of the United States. He did not have to go in and sit down with these soldiers who were wounded. He did not have to go into threatening um, environments for his troops to be with his troops. But he did it repeatedly over and over and over again. Uh, He could have sent somebody else in to do this work but we've been called to do the same. Why? Because that is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He comes to redeem us and he comes to comfort us and he does it repeatedly over and over and over again when he doesn't have to. And then he calls us to go and do likewise. Not by our own power, not by our own strength, but by the Spirit and God's power and strength, making it Your prayer. Let us pray. Lord, help us to know your faith. Give us the gift of faith. Oh God, give us the gift of courage. Give us the gift of hope and humility. Most of all, oh God, give us the gift of your love. Help us to know your love, what you did for us that first Christmas, coming to live with us, and what you continue to do for us, coming to live inside us by your Spirit to empower us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.